It was a notebook of my own journey and how my understanding has shifted through time. And as I began writing these things down, I, I realized that it is perhaps a thing that many people may parallel. Oh, thank yeah. God. <laughs> Come with yeah. us on a journey into the unknown, I think that was the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will we test your senses and challenge your beliefs. Like world a world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the I am Ryan Cook, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, the unbelievable. New England's own Van Helsink, with me all the way from the land of the Red Dragon, is the Wall Street Journal's ghost standard in ghost hunting. I don't know about that one. Uh, Mr. Steve Parsons. Yeah. So what's this new group then? The New England Ghost Hunters. I don't know where that came from. Well, you... <laughs> have you have you been moonlighting on the quiet? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Anyways, we've got a great show tonight. Uh there's so many, so many groups in the in the world today, ghost yeah, hunting. New groups. England ghost hunters. Yeah, evidently. So uh I thought we'd take a look at it and, and give some advice to these uh groups that are starting out because I think they need direction and I think I've got just the guy to help us uh, so joining us now is uh, all the way from California where I'm sure maybe even hotter than uh, New England uh, he has been in the, the paranormal field longer than I've been married uh, he is Lloyd Arbeck Lloyd hi there okay can you hear us alright yeah I can Okay. So, uh, welcome. Thank you. All right. L Lloyd, how long have you been in the, in the field? Uh, s directly since 1979. So yeah. when did you get married, Rob? Uh, 72. Ah, see? Close. But no cigar. <laughs> so, anyways, Well, I Lloyd... mean, technically I've been interested in actually had a parapsychology club from about in my high school at, at around uh, in 1972. You just so. you just say you just saved Ron's ass, Lloyd. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. A, a parapsychology club in 1972. Yep. Yep. Um, I, was, I had some friends who were interested at high school, and a couple teachers who sponsored the club at our our high school in Elmsford, New York. Huh. You know, first uh, when you said that, I was a little stunned. Uh, you know, thinking about the world back then, and then I remembered that. Uh, that was about the same time that I was manufacturing uh, biofeedback devices for plants. So uh, I guess yeah. maybe yeah, it was that, well, a little bit more open then. Well, and also you got to remember that this was that was a time that the so-called occult explosion had happened in publishing. There were books on psychic and occult things all over the place, right. and TV shows like The Sixth Sense and Dark oh, Shadows God, were still running. Yeah. Oh, great shows. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's. Uh, thank you for uh, taking time out of your schedule because you are. I guess you are probably. I'm going to say the most respected uh, U.S. 
uh, parapsychologists. Uh, I would not put myself in that. <laughs> There's many of my colleagues who are um, who are there much more, uh, you know, I guess, experienced doing laboratory and other kinds of research. You know, maybe I'm the best known to the ghost hunting community, but... Uh, there you go. All right. I'll take that. I'll accept that. Uh, I, would, I, I would actually go as far as to say that, that is a distinct um, advantage and a feather in the cap, Lloyd, if I may, because one of the things that I've been, in fact, I'm, I'm going to be dealing with at the SPR conference this year, my presentation, is the disconnect between academic parapsychology and the, the amateur, uh, the enthusiastic yeah. investigator. And it's very, very rare that we do get this, this uh, crossover between the two. Well, you know, part of that is a creation of what created the bulk of the paranormal community, which is the TV shows. Um, they yeah. seriously re resisted having anyone or even talking to folks in academic parapsychology, or parapsychology in general for that matter. Um, and uh, that's partly because they didn't want to bring in anybody who knew more than the so-called uh, experts who were the team members. It, it, it goes back further, though, doesn't it, Lloyd? I mean, we go right the yeah. way back to where Ryan himself, who was famously vociferously against any form of spontaneous case investigation. If Although his wife that. was was open yeah. to certainly spontaneous experiences, and there were people who were connected to the Institute for, for Parapsychology who did investigations, and naturally they they worked together with the Psychical Research Foundation, which was in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Bill Roll and other folks, Jerry Salfin and those folks. Yeah, I was say Louisa, or, uh, his wife Louisa, also did a great deal of um, yes. documenting and collecting, collating of stuff. Right, something that his, their daughter Sally Feather continues to this day. Oh, that's cool. Uh, you know, I, you've you've done so much. Uh, you have courses with uh, with your uh, God with the Rhine, and uh, mm -hmm. and of course uh, Steve has done his Ghostology, which is. You know, uh, available in book form, by the way. Great uh, book. Yeah, I used that, used that in one of my courses, in fact. <laughs> and uh, you and I have done dabbled a little in the, in the collegiate uh, with uh, Northern Essex and my paranormal CSI. But, uh, you know, there's so many ghost groups, and the only guidance they really get is either the Internet or the TV shows. And, and I think that's kind of wrong. So I thought, oh, yeah. I thought that we might provide some guidance to these groups in the show today, if it's okay with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, the one thing that I found rather disappointing, I don't know if you're finding it the same, Lloyd, is the lack of willingness on behalf of the investigator community to, uh, under, you know, to participate in any of these study days or courses. Yeah. You know, there, there seems to be... I've I'm, I'm actually been shocked over the years of kind of beating my head against a very big brick wall uh, at the lack of curiosity about the history of this, uh, of investigations and what's been learned, and the lack of curiosity about parapsychology, it, it's, it's amazing to me uh, how little interest folks actually have in this. And I think it's partly because they're resistant to running into, as soon as they start looking into it, they run into ideas uh, and concepts that have been well-proven about things like, well, investigating the dark is a dumb idea. And here it is. <laughs> they're doing all these things. You know, what they're doing is mimicking what they see on television exactly. or each other. And we have already gone through in the field and said, well, that's not a good idea. It's not the way things happen. It's not the way we can really figure this out. It's not the best way to gather evidence. Uh, so <laughs> we're, we're kind of 
poo-pooing a lot of what they're having fun doing. Yeah, it, it often feels very much a case of uh, we're the, uh, the elephant in the room, the spoil sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've been that spoil sport. In fact, I can even think of one, one presentation I gave at a, a paranormal conference, one of the few that I attended, where I felt like uh, William Shatner doing a Get a Life to, to Star Trek fans. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, it's funny, Lloyd, and, and I know you've been an, out, uh, an outspoken critic in a lot of this, because I remember I had you on a show years and years ago. We, you, it was, uh, wait a minute, I don't even know if you were on a show. I think your name just even got mentioned, and it was a regard to some winery up in the West Coast. But I received several emails uh, saying, you know, oh, that's not true about the ghost hunters, and I'm no longer listening to your show, you know, you're mm-hmm. spreading false rumors. I mean, that's, that's, you know, those guys have become, uh, you know, demigods, uh, and, and, you know, TV is not where you should be getting your knowledge, no offense. No, no. You know, I, let's face it, they started out, maybe they were doing investigations uh, for fun or on the side. But they worked for Roto-Rooter, and we even saw the Roto-Rooter truck in the first couple seasons. So, you know, i got to say that if you were going to become a plumber in most parts of the United States, you would have to, have to go through significant training and licensure to do so. Right. So, so I, why, why we wouldn't, you know, just simply hang up a, a shingle as a plumber from watching a home improvement show. Right. So why should uh, the same not be true for us? That, that's true. I mean... Uh, I know the U.K. is, is trying to regulate mediums a little bit, uh, and, and maybe that's something that needs to be done to the paranormal investigator as well. Well, that's a, li- well it's a little harder, I think, when you're talking about innate skills and abilities, because that's like trying to regulate artists and musicians. Yeah, yeah, in fact, right. well, the, there is, there is, uh, the, the regulations that pertain to mediumship uh, are not really related to the, the pursue, pursuit of the the mediumistic ability they're more right. related to the the taking of money exactly. um, and, yeah it, it's a consumer law that's being used rather than than uh you know because we can't actually demonstrate that they're not using mediumistic abilities in many cases right 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 so i mean if we were to give advice to a group that's starting out uh to me the first thing i would say to them is you need a mission statement why are you doing this uh, do mm-hmm. you agree with me on this? Or? I think a mission statement is a good idea because at least as long as it's an honest mission statement, mm-hmm. if they're doing it for fun, great. If they're doing it to try to help people, okay, then they need to learn something about how they can do that. If they're yeah, doing it to, yep. yeah, they, if they're doing it to study the, uh, the experiences and phenomena, they need to be clear about how to do that. Because that's where we find people say that they're, you know, they're being scientific or they're studying this, and they're absolutely doing none of that. So they're not honest about it. Okay, so let's say we had a, a group that was wanted to be honest, and and those are the three categories that uh, we have devised. Uh, would you agree with those, Steve Parsons? The three categories. Uh, broadly, which, yeah. Which yeah. is which is fun, um, <sighs> helping people and. Uh, serious uh, research well and of course there's cro- you, you can have all three <laughs> that's the thing well, yeah they're not mutually exclusive of one another right, and, that's and correct you don't have to in- engage in all three i mean i we, we've had guests on the show before who whose uh, raison d'etre for investigating is you know as they said to, to put something back into their community uh, mm-hmm. it's very altruistic approach right 
so well, anyways taking a group that just wants to have fun as far as I'm concerned uh, taking the a ghost hunting 101 course that every every group course offers uh, is it, fine because uh, watching TV that's fine to me it's, as, it's, as long as fun. they're sticking to public locations and not going to try to go to somebody's home good point very good point agree Steve well, my, I, my only beef has always been the way that they're selling it because they're portraying it as a real investigation. So people, yeah, that's people true. come along yeah. at, who are genuinely interested in, you know, they, they, they've read books, they, they might have read Lloyd's book or my book or your book run, and they want to know more about it. They go along to their local ghost investigation. And what they're actually te- taking part in is this interactive scary movie idea that we've talked about before. Yeah, but this is the um, group that just wants to have fun. Okay, so yeah, but how? Do, but it's it's the advertising. It's being branded as a real investigation instead of of, of a for fun investigation. And that's right. Well, that's not the group confused. that's going out. That's the people who are offering these excursions yeah, it's, and it's, such. It's an advertising and, thing. It's a consumer yeah, thing yeah. again. It's how it's promoted and sold right. to people as a genuine product. When in actual fact, it couldn't be any more different. Correct. Uh, okay. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to pick on that group too much. And, and uh, Steve, uh, I know you don't like the event part of it, and I understand. No, I've, that, I've got nothing against you. No, no, no. Those who where, where my beef is. Yeah, my they, beef the is. Way they advertise it. Yeah, is the yeah, advertising yeah. and promotion of it. And, and uh, uh, Lloyd. I would agree with that, Steve. Okay. All right. So, the next, let's take a look at either the serious, re- I don't know which one you want to tackle for us, the serious Well, you know, here's the thing. The if, people, if people want to, uh, anybody who, who's past the fun part, you know, just yep. going and having fun at an event or an excursion or something like that, visiting haunted places and doing EVP or whatever the hell they want, um, what, it, you know, when you have people who are their heroes, their demigods, <laughs> as you put it, Ron, who have made statements. I was at a conference back in 2008, and a huge panel of people from Paranormal State and Ghost Hunters. Michelle Belanger was on the panel. Uh, A couple of producers from Pilgrim were there. Uh, Chip Coffey was on the panel. A whole bunch of people. And one of the guys from, and I'm not going to say which one, from Ghost Hunters made this statement in his little talk, because everybody had a few minutes to to make statements before we had the the panel dialogue and questions. He made the statement that there was no good literature um, on the subject before the 1990s. Oh. And I oh. was sitting, I, so of course I spoke up immediately and not only said, well, one of your people has read my 1986 book, so right off the bat, <laughs> that's wrong. But let's go back over a hundred years, and I made some comments about the availability of some, especially availability of some of the early SPR and ASPR and other books from the Internet Archive and Google Books and places like that for free late 1800s, early, tw- early 20th century. And Michelle Belanger fortunately spoke up as well on that subject because we were getting, I was getting dirty looks from everybody at that mm-hmm. point. When she actually backed me up, it was fine, but it, it created this whole mess uh, with this audience that these people didn't know what the hell they were talking about, mm-hmm. which didn't reflect bad, uh, well on me, unfortunately. A 400-pound gorilla in the room. Yeah, yeah. And really, if people are interested in either learning to help people, which means learning to research, I mean, you have to do have to understand how to do an investigation and you need to know what we we in the field in psychical research parapsychology have learned about psychic phenomena over the last 130 plus years you got to have some grounding in what's been done before and what also constitutes good evidence and and how to work with people living and dead i guess 
<laughs> well, absolutely. Uh, but uh, you, you talk about uh, the research. It has to, to me, anyways, it has to be more open-minded research in, in that yeah. you, just, you just can't grab one book on one particular subject and say, okay, here's the Bible on, right. on uh, whatever. And, right. you know, right. you have to look at all sides of it. And, and of course, Steve and I uh, constantly fight about this, don't we, Steve? Uh, do we? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you. We do. Right. Well, I, I think Appar being well-read we across the board time, is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I mean, it is important. To, you know, people say to me, what books should I, you know, what books do, mm -hmm. do you recommend? I say, just read anything and everything, but make your own judgment call on what, you, on what you're reading. Because, you know, if you read, a lot of authors put together some, some fairly compelling uh, accounts of how to do stuff, how to conduct investigations, which are not uh, not the way you and I might do it, Lloyd, in, right. you know, for, for ethical, moral reasons. But the, the way it is presented is quite compelling and would carry a reader, a new reader along with it. Then they would read something, uh, perhaps by Tony Cornell, which is more critical of that approach, more ethical, more, more, more moral mm -hmm. in, its, in its stance. And they would, they would see both sides. Now, you would hope that they would reach their own conclusion, that they would... Right. Uh, Unfortunately, I think the one who shouts loudest is the one who gets the most attention. Well, that, that's been very clear from the paranormal conferences, the ghost conferences. Uh, it is the people who make the, the broadest, loudest claims are the ones who actually get booked at these conferences. And any of us who are perhaps, as you put it, spoil sports at all <laughs> are kind of left out. I mean, I'm constantly referring people to other, you know, people say, well, you started this idea. And it's like, no, I didn't start that. It came from Scott Rogo and Bill Roll and Tony Cornell. You have to really, this is where knowing the history. Um, I had mentors like Carlos Osis and Alex Tanis. So I actually had a researcher and a psychic who helped me uh, early on when I worked at the ASPR in the early 80s. And John Palmer, who was our instructor at JFK, but also Jeffrey Mishlov. There's a lot of people who have written a lot in this field, and reading across the board, you may not, as you mentioned, Steve, may not agree with everything, but it helps to know what, what they're saying and why they're saying it, yeah. you know, what they're I th basing I th it I on. I think you have to, uh, I think, Lloyd, you have to actually hit, uh, be conversant with both sides of the argument in order to stay on the fence. Yeah. I think staying on the fence is, is vital. You know, you well, that also includes, unfortunately, <laughs> sorry to say, um, some of the debunkers, too, because you need to know where they're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. So much you that is wrong. I, right. And you, you also need to read the current output from uh, the, you know, the, the media ghost hunters it's, it's to know where they're coming from and to yeah. know, get their angle on it. Yeah. Um, you know, I deal with some of these folks, and, of course, they, they, people show me their new equipment, and uh, <laughs> I, I love saying to them, how's it work? Because <laughs> they have no idea. I said, what's the no. principle? You know, what are they, when, the man, when somebody gave this to you or sold it to you, what did they tell you it did? My and they don't know. question is always, how do you calibrate that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That, and and we, right. Steve and I have talked about this many times. I mean, I, I buy a lot of this crap, uh, excuse me, equipment, and um, <laughs> they come with the, the most ridiculous, uh, well, I, I can't even see instructions because they, they tell you basically how to put the battery in. Uh, you know, the, there's, there's no... Uh, any information on how it works or how it tends to work? I mean, you take a look uh, of Steve and I. It's probably our favorite one is the Ghost Meter Pro, right? 
where it, it, it can actually tell the difference between ancient ghosts and recent ghosts. I mean, Oh, God. I, I, <laughs> really? I, I haven't even heard about that. <laughs> really? Oh, it's absolutely fabulous. I mean, I, I, I am so enthralled uh, on how this works, but, geez, there's no information on how it does I, I, I wish you had. I wish we had video here because I, my headphones don't reach the other end of the office here where there is a ghost meter pro set of instructions that I can't Oh, wow. where'd you get that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's just crazy um, what people. Of course, people are making using this to make money. They, this has been a whole industry that's cottage industry that's sprung up around the equipment. And some people mean well and are trying very hard to come up with some things that that might do something interesting. Other folks are just trying to make a buck, and that's fine, but <laughs> uh, to a point, uh, you know, it ends up being almost a con game at that point at some level. It's electronic snake oil in many instances because what what the, the the what I found is that you have a within groups you have people with a genuine interest who are mm-hmm. seeking direction they're seeking information they're using this equipment in the forlorn uh, hope that it's giving them information and yet it, it's telling them well there's there's four lights or two lights and and they've got a, a tiny pro forma sheet of uh, paper that says, "Well, if it's four lights, it's a demon," and they have they have no further information, and they're not being. I don't think there's the proper guidance on where to look. And one of the things that I'm trying to tackle with the SPR is that they should reach out and engage with this community of interested yeah. enthusiasts and say, "Look, we have the expertise and the 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 ability to provide you with this information, but all too often." You find with uh, the SPR, uh, with the PA, that the that the interesting stuff in the journals is written in an, uh, an academic language that's virtually impenetrable, and you know it, it's rather like when I worked in medicine. We we the the language is exclusive to people who aren't in that clique of parapsychology or physics or engineering. Yeah, and there's there's nobody there's no mechanism to translate. There is there doesn't seem to be a desire within the SPR or within the PA to translate this information. Well, I, I think that part of it, you know, the PA is trying to or has been doing some outreach to try to get you know students interested, and it's it's worked a little bit. There's actually you know, forming student group, but uh, what it, boy, you're absolutely right about the jargon in the journals. It's um, it's a difficult thing because that is the case in all science journals that you have uh, articles or papers written in the particular lexicon of that particular field, whether it is physics or biology or medicine or whatever else. And the average person who's not conversant in that language cannot typically read the material. And then you have the focus on statistics, which mean absolutely nothing to most people, uh, including some people in the field sometimes. <laughs> so it would, it would really um, be to the advantage of the field to have either a publication or a part of the journal where things are kind of summarized, at least, not abstracted, but summarized in a way that the average person could actually access. And then if they wanted to try to read the journal articles, they'd actually be there as well. Yeah. I mean, you can't force people to read. And one of the, one of the things that I, I've certainly encountered is that you, you will often get the science journalist who will summarize, and he will put into some big headline, infrasound, these low-frequency sounds cause people to see ghosts. Now, right. the, 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 the lay uh, investigator sees that, 
and there is no content there. There is there's nothing further really beyond the headline that researchers have discovered that these low frequency notes make people see the ghosts, and they they they're not given the information that they need in order to fully understand that piece. So the science the science journalists and this, uh, are letting them down. I think it actually comes down to. Uh, the organisations themselves, because the PA, the SPR, they have the connections into uh, the people who are qualified to teach. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I try to summarize research uh, for my students when I'm teaching classes, kind of try to do the, the latest research and such. Uh, you know, it really is about uh, the courses that we offer and uh, It'd be great if place if some of these organizations, well, some of these paranormal conferences wanted to have some researchers come in, uh, and they can. I mean, I, I know many great many researchers who can easily translate their own work into into language the average person can discuss or can understand. Um, Ed May is a good example of that with the remote viewing research. He actually writes very academically, so it's very dense writing, but when he speaks. Everybody gets it, and he's funny. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Dean Radin's very much the same way. So there are people who can speak to the general public. Those folks are never invited to these conferences because part of what the TV shows have done is, is a, another disconnect between ghostly phenomena and ESP and PK. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, well, we're actually coming up in break, so I don't want to get anything too philosophical. But... Uh, do you uh, let's put it this way? I mean, the SPR runs their own conferences. Or thing. What do we in, have our own in in the U.S.? I, uh, yeah. Well, the PA runs a conference, although it's not necessarily in the U.S. all the time. This past Parapsychological Association conference was hooked up with the Society for Scientific Exploration, which has its own conferences also, um, and the PA typically runs a couple every year. You know, a couple. Um, one year in the U.S. Uh, on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, or the Midwest, and then they go to Europe typically. So it's uh-huh. trying to stay international in that way. But, tr- you know, we need perhaps a conference or two for the general public that, that approaches what psychical research and parapsychology has done, but directed at the general public. And then there's the issue of getting people to show up. Exactly. Because... Without these TV stars, apparently no none of these paranormal community people are going to show up. That's true, and, and, and it all goes back to the TV stars because you know I've seen them do it; they get great results. I mean, what can you tell me that's you know I haven't already seen on TV? Uh, and, and that's the problem: is is people don't want to do research, they don't want to read, they just. And they believe everything they see on the TV shows, even though it's the producers that are that are actually coming up with the final product, and occasionally causing things to be. There's fraudulent stuff on these shows. There's, you know, they may not be scripted, but they're set up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, Uh, anyways, we're running pretty close to the break right now, and you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Steve Parsons. And Ron Kolick, and our special guest today is uh, parapsychologist Lloyd Arbrack. How come you don't spell your name with two L's? Just curious. Uh, you can blame my parents on that. My dad okay. said it was just to give me something to, to explain for the rest of my life. Yeah, I was just curious. Anyway, so listen, tunes. We'll be right back. You'll listen, we'll be right back after these following messages. 
Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be. With remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased, we'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Anyway, that's that's Richard Felix. Yeah, bear. And our special guest tonight is Lloyd Outback. I'm not going to. I'm not even going to wander off tonight. Hey guys, just before we do though, um, I'm clutching a new ghost gadget. Uh, really? Which, which arrived today, Ron? You, you, you this is great. This, I, I'm trying to visualise this because there's no photograph of these available yet. Of that new. It's uh, it was presented to me today. It's a pair of it would effectively ski goggles, but they're Mac Ooh, black. I love wearing things. Yeah, and if you take out, there's no glass or there's no perspex uh, acetate visor. Instead, you have a matte black stainless steel mesh. Ooh. Which is okay. Yeah, I know how this a, works now. I know yeah. how it works. It's well, it's described as in the very flimsy instruction sheet as a Faraday cage for the eyes. <laughs> what? Okay. It's a Faraday cage for the eyes and pre- prevents electromagnetic interference and allows what? us from the environment, allowing our eyes to see uh, through the carefully tuned holes um, within the Faraday shield uh, entities and spirits. It allows their energy to pass because the holes are calibrated. I am extremely jealous. Ex- too bad that just, that wouldn't actually work. <laughs> Shh, unimportant. <laughs> it's absolutely unimportant. Uh, they were presented to me today to try out. 
So, so you go. are you going to bring him over in September? I, probably, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I got to. I, I got to. Yeah, try. But oh. they're going to travel. They're definitely going to, you know, they're, they're, I mean, you know, they're solid. Stain, and you know, this, the, this front mesh, stainless steel. Wow. Uh, I mean, you know, with, I can see that. That might, you know, I figure so. they put the mesh in there to improve your vision to see in a certain spectrum range because of... No, no, you know, no, and, they, uh, are Faraday, they are huh? Faraday cage for your eyes. Okay. Yeah, you know, that's fine if the EM field is coming directly at the goggles, but if it's hitting the head <laughs> any other way, sorry, it's not going to work. Well, well, you know, I mean, from a, from a physics point of view, they're not going to work anyway because they're not grounded because they're, they're back. Right, they're there's that too, uh, right. Yeah, they're back to the lovely soft rubber uh, vented finish. So you don't Ooh, actually. Get... One of the things in the advert says that they around the the periphery uh, of the goggles are foam air vents to prevent these things from misting up. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> now we're dealing here with a stainless steel mesh. It, there must be ten thousand holes in this thing, and yeah. it's going to steam up. Yeah, but they right. thoughtfully provided foam um, anti-fogging. I, I want to try those in a guard chamber. That would be a blast. Yeah, I'd probably see all kinds of religious experiences. Works, apparently, yeah. I, I'm waiting for the next accessory, which is the tinfoil hat. Oh, anyways, uh, we do have a guest, so <laughs> moving back. Just, just a distraction. <laughs> When we were talking about gadgets, it just reminded me that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I got to tell you that um, over in the early days of, of gadgetry for TV, which was in the 80s, um, this was after post Ghostbusters, of course, when TV producers were asking whether we had anything that had lights and made sounds. <laughs> I love Like it. in Ghostbusters. And, uh, you know, we did have EMF detectors at that point, of course, uh, thermometers yes. and such. But I would often, um, if the director on the field group, field production team was very active and really insisting on something like that, uh, I would usually get annoyed and pull out my Star Trek The Next Generation toy tri- tricorder, <laughs> which makes sounds and has lights. And inevitably, the director would not be a Star Trek fan. However, the camera guy and the sound guy would know exactly what I had in my hand every single time. And this was multiple times, and of course they would stop rolling, but they would continue to say that they were rolling, and we'd have a good laugh on the director. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, we had the cell sensor, Lloyd. I mean, that lights up and makes nice noise. Yeah, but that's a relatively recent thing. I mean, we there are, there are things that... that make, you know, the natural tri-field meter now makes noise and such, and, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, and, in the early it's, days it's, over here, we, we were, say, the, the directors over here were no different. They wanted a machine. We used to call it the machine, I think it was a Monty Python thing, the machine that went bing. Um, and we just we just just used to drag around with us an old 1950s Geiger counter, um, mm-hmm. that makes and and an old busted oscilloscope, uh, which we just used to set up in the background as the machines that went bing. And the directors were always happy. We never used them; they were just set dressing. But um, in fact, actually, no. <laughs> funny story coming. Funny parapsychologist story. We did an investigation with Professor Richard Wiseman on one occasion. I know. Oh, fun. <laughs> and he he turned up uh, as he was sort of helicoptered in uh, towards the end of the shoot, as the actually well, should be. And the director, who was from Japanese television, said that they uh, set up this shot where. Professor Wiseman was to uh, uh, descend into the pit, which was a uh, sump in, into which the the uh, young boy had uh, apparently fallen many years before. Around so he had to carry in a piece of equipment. So they came to us and said, "Have you got anything 
so, yeah, yeah, we've got things he can take into the pit with him. Here, take this 1950s bright yellow uh, ex-government-issued Geiger counter. <laughs> and off Professor Wiseman went. <laughs> he must have been happy. Oh, he, he was getting paid. He didn't care. Oh, we, we've had many a laugh about that. <laughs> I'll bet, yeah. You know, it's. Uh, I, I've, I've always felt like I'd, I'd love to get somebody who could actually build some Star Trek-related stuff and, and just put some things into it. Just We could probably sell that really well. <laughs> Well, we also, I mean, some of the TV shows, because they expect you to carry this equipment around with you. I, I, I did a few episodes of Most Haunted here in the UK, and one of the things that I, I was always forced to do, because it was the investigator's role, and the investigator had to carry stuff. You couldn't mm-hmm. just follow on behind the medium and, and the presenter, uh, listening or, or making notes. You had to actually be seen to be measuring stuff. And on. Nobody was really paying any attention, um, and you would just want—they just wanted you to carry something. So on one occasion, I picked up—it was a blocker, a resin block of cheese, off a table display from a medieval banquet—and then proceeded, and then proceeded for the next three or four shots uh, to wander around holding this this sort of triangle. That's of cheese. funny. Uh, and it's it, it's in the final. It, it got into the final edit. <laughs> wow. So, anyways, um, before uh, yeah, before we go on, uh, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, uh, Lloyd, because uh, I might forget, uh, how can they do that? Uh, well, my website is mindreader.com. Cool. Uh, or they can just email me, which is prof paranormal professor paranormal. It's p r o f paranormal at gmail dot com. Uh, the website actually has a way to lock, sign up for my newsletter. My occasional newsletter, but there's also contact info there. Cool. That's probably the easiest way. And do you have anything uh, coming up uh, you'd like to tell us about before we move on? Well, um, I, I'm actually just finishing a re-edit of, uh, for a reprint of My Mind Over Matter, my PK book, which came out uh, in 96. So it's going to be released, re-released by... Llewellyn Books in July of 2017, and in April 2017, my Psychic Dreaming book will be out. And I'm about to, I'm just kind of going through um, the ESP Hauntings and Poltergeist, which are going to reprint pretty much the way it was. I'm getting rid of, I have to kind of get rid of some of the resource stuff since it's all out of, that's out of date. But I'm going to reprint that. It's going to have a 30th anniversary edition uh, next oh, month. Cool. Yeah. Oh, excellent, excellent. Yeah, so and that'll is, be available is, on Amazon next month, oh, uh, both in print and as a Kindle book as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, that's excellent. Uh, so getting back to the uh, the topic, which is, you know, the, uh, you're a new group. You're starting out. You, you, uh, what do we tell this group? What, what, should they, what should they study to start with? And, uh, you know, what kind of equipment and stuff? I mean, how can we help this group get set up? Well, you know, when people ask me what's the most, what's the, the most important thing to learn if you're starting out, I say I would basically say interviewing and listening skills mm-hmm. because you have to talk to the people who have witnessed this stuff. Uh, you know, otherwise you're, you're kind of like going off folklore in some respects. So you need to actually have witnesses to talk to people. This is all based on people's experiences, so having people – to actually talk to is important. And if you don't know how to actually interview people, if you don't know how to ask questions, you can't just simply have a list of questions and run down the questions. You actually have to listen to the responses and actually 
dig deeper. You also need to learn some basics about what else could create in someone's mind a conclusion that something is paranormal. And a lot of that, you know, is going to come from not the skeptical literature necessarily, but there's, well, books like Steve's book, Ghostology. There are, there's, there's literature out there that will kind of point you in the direction of understanding how people misunderstand or misperceive things. There's actually some good books uh, about how magicians actually fool or convince you. They're not necessarily magic books, but there's some good stuff out there, too. And then, of course, I would definitely say to read introductory material about parapsychology just to get an understanding of the history and what's out there and how it relates to ghostly experiences. Uh, one of the books that I point people to constantly, uh, it's an older book, but it's been reprinted, and that is um, Psychic Exploration, which was edited by the late Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut. It came out in the 70s. It's been re-released uh, with a new introduction for the IONS folks. And it's got some of the best contribution, best people in Paris, in and around parapsychology, and best writers contributing chapters on all aspects of psychical research and parapsychology, including ghosts and hauntings. I think, um, I believe that chapter was by Scott Rogo. Yeah, cool. So there's a lot of really good stuff in, in that book, and it is available. Uh, my books have good reading lists to point people to, but if they're not willing to read a book or an yeah, e-book, pretty much screwed. then we're kind of, or take a course. So this is the problem. People are willing to spend $300 if they can spend a night in a haunted prison. Mm-hmm. But they're not willing to spend $25 to buy a book or two. And they're certainly not willing to spend less than that overnight at that haunted prison to take a course from someone in the field. So there are actually free courses that, um, on parapsychology in general. Uh, there's a few free courses out there that Nancy Zingroni and Carlos Alvarado have offered through their uh, theazire.org site as well. Yeah, before the break, we touched on this problem of trying to engage with um, the enthusiastic investigator community. And one of the things that I, I discovered is uh, is to actually use the same mechanism as the uh, as the event companies, as the the sort of the, the, the scary uh, investigations, which is to engage them with the investigation, uh, but use the investigation as a tool for hopefully getting them to think through the process themselves and to evaluate the different steps that are being used. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I call it edutainment because mm-hmm. yeah. it, it, does, you know, it does bring the people in. It, it, it keeps them in a, comfort, in a comfortable zone, uh, something that they're used to. It's, it's similar to the media. Um, you know, they're, they're doing their own investigation. But I invite them to, to think about it in a more critical way. And I found that that's one way of engaging them. It's not brilliantly successful because there is still this uh, here here in the UK there is still this sort of barrier against anything that says study day or, or course or uh, but if you throw in the, the bait of the investigation um, you do get participants sometimes the participants come along purely for the investigation and think that well we'll sit through the study day you know it's something we have to do it, it's, it doesn't cost any more money and we can't do the investigation of this location we want to do uh, but you've got them there and at least you know, whilst they're there if you're a good educator then you should be able to give them something and engage with them at some level and send them away hopefully with, with 
something to think about. Yeah, you know, part of it is the, car, the cost here and actually, again, getting people there and, and uh, having the cost. The way the yeah. locations do charge, it makes it very difficult it for us. It is very, to, very prohibitive here in the U.S. Yeah, it makes it difficult for us. Uh, I'm going to be involved in one, however. Uh, some friends of mine up in the Seattle area are doing one next September at a haunted location. I'm also speaking, and I've spoken at a couple of places. The USS Hornet Aircraft Carrier Museum uh, uh-huh. has had me speak at their Paracon the last couple of years. I'm speaking again next month there. And I, this year I'm talking about the evidence for life after death. Uh, last year I talked about kind of parapsychology for ghost hunters, introducing concepts. And I've also talked about the early investigations at the Hornet, for that matter. Uh, but you have other speakers at these things who are the celebrities because that draws the people in who then contradict what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, then, and then it comes down to are they going to believe the guy on TV or the, the researcher, uh, the person who has been in the field? And of course, they always default to the guy on TV. That right. is the problem. Is how do you undo the hocus pocus of the TV celebrity? Um, yeah. I I have actually had, on three occasions, people at some of these conferences, I don't get invited to most of these conferences, partly because I'm apparently the spoil sport, Um, but uh, I've had, on three occasions, had people say to me, why should I listen to you? You don't have a TV series. Exactly. I mean, and if you, yeah, the other problem is if you do you get the uh, if you present them with some something to that's contra, that contradicts their beliefs, you get the well, uh, there are no such thing as the experts in the paranormal. That's I get that too. Yeah, yeah. Except that's really, you know, in which really case I counter that with well, you know, we did have a gra- an accredited graduate parapsychology program. I have a master's in it, and I taught in the program, uh, so you can actually teach stuff. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, one of the other things, I mean, uh, and I did this with my course on, on paranormal CSI, is, is critical thinking in, in that yeah. you follow the evidence as well. You, you check your beliefs at the door and just look at the witness statements, look at whatever you collect for evidence and and just to, to follow it and try to understand it and then base your, your uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, your, your thoughts on, on what you've accumulated or have not accumulated, and then you can make a conclusion. But you just can't go through and discard this and, and select this and discard this because that's what happens in a lot of uh, uh, paranormal teams is, is they'll overlook some things or discard them. Or it, it's whether, you know, whether you're a critical thinker or, or a debunker or, or you're a believer. They, they, they just chose what they want to chose. And it, it, right. that's the, the big problem with a lot of teams. No, it's true. It's true. Um, you know, they, they pick and choose what they want. Uh, but again, you do need to know a little bit of the history. You need to know what people have learned before. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, that first thing you have to do is like they teach you in, in, in Paranormal CS, is you collect the evidence. So that's, yeah. that's the very first part you do. Well, and, you know, and, actually, you need to know how to collect the evidence. Oh, and that's then you true. That's true. That's true. Yep, I did uh, skip over that one. Yep, yep, that, but that is true. You do have to. And then, you, as they used to say on CSI, follow the evidence and then come to the conclusion. Anyway. I think part of it as well, it comes down to, we go back to some of these courses that, are, that do exist, um, and I'm just sticking mainly to the UK ones. Often the presentation of the course itself can be uh, some, somewhat of a problem because they are, they, are, they are presenting good information, but with the tagline of presenting the evidence, letting you decide. And I, I'm not, I, you know, I sometimes sit and think, are these people capable of deciding? Because 
you need to really they've come along on a course to be guided uh, should you really be leaving it that open um, mm-hmm. because you end up in this situation as you say the TV celebrity makes more noise presents something that's much more compelling because they can present images video footage of a demon interacting with them oh, yeah. whereas whereas you know the spoil sport can just go mm, it's not a demon I can explain it using science and physics and rational human physiology and psychology. It's not a demon. But I saw a demon. I know what I saw with my own eyes. Right, right. You know, so presenting the evidence, letting you decide, I don't think is a good... Well, you know, it it comes down to emotion, too. It's it's what we're seeing in the, the presidential election here in the U.S. Oh, yeah. It's, it's when true. things are presented it's with high emotion, you know, even if it's wrong, uh, people are often going to latch onto it more than they would with logical, rational, or even intuitive thought, for that matter, that yeah. doesn't have that emotion connected to it. Right. Uh, the other advice I think that we should give most teams starting out is to read the, the manuals. Uh, you know, I mean, I so many people that, for instance, just just take an EMF meter. And the sensors will be one on the side, and they'll be saying, oh, there's something ahead of me or whatever, and you know, yeah. they, don't even know, they don't know what they're reading. Uh, the flare, people go out, and they'll, especially back, I mean, they've gone way down in price now, but uh, they would spend good money for a flare camera and never take a course which was often free in how to understand it. And that's Well, the, ear- the early uh, thermal visions, um, which were produced by Agima, which is a company that was purchased by FLIR, uh, the Agema folks, you know, they had nitrogen-cooled packs that you had to carry. These are huge cameras that you had to carry around. And they put three people through kind of a certification process. They had to learn how to actually use the cameras yeah. before they would let anybody even use them. So, the, you know, the, I've talked to, I've worked with some of the FLIR um, folks over the years, the, the sales, regional sales guy or the guy who actually the tech guy, tech guys, and yet you do have to learn how to interpret things and look for alternatives. And this is the thing: you have to always with this equipment. It's not designed to detect ghosts. It's oh, designed for it? something else. So unless oh, you know what it's designed to detect and what could actually create a false positive, if you want to call it that, then you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, you know, they do, like they, I said, they do offer courses. A lot of them are free. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you, it would just take, and some of them are even online. You can, I know Flare offered a course online uh, uh, when we bought our Flare camera that I, that I took. So, it's, it's out there, but a lot of people will do the due diligence and, and just read the instructions on some of these but, but pieces. But they believe that they have the information. It's, it's not a case of that they're not. Um, I don't think that they're willfully ignoring the, the instructions. I think that they've watched the well, TV Well, they have. Show. They're not reading them. Well, yeah, but they've watched the TV show. They've seen... You know, people turn to YouTube now instead of... Uh, and watch a, a video review of a product true, and how to true. use a product rather than flip through the pages of a manual. And also, a lot of, a lot of manufacturers now don't include the manual. It is part of a... Right. It's on a CD right. or it's on download. Right. So right. the manual has become removed from the product, and people turn to YouTube, and we, we tend to rely on these visual presentations. And so it isn't unnatural for them to watch the TV shows and to see the, the TV ghost hunting heroes and presume and assume that they are using the, the uh, equipment correctly and that the, their interpretation of the results, uh, that it is in fact showing them a demon, uh, is a correct interpretation. And so when they see similar results from 
I'm, I'm part of it is a misunderstanding of the technology because um, the the FLIR camera, the name camera misleads people into thinking it's something familiar like the digital camera. The box, right, yeah, the that's true. Box brownie, when right. in fact it's presenting thermal evidence in a visual form. It's but, a picture. Yeah. Um, it, it, it allows people to feel comfortable with really what is quite a complex piece of technology and presenting information in a radically different way um, from, from the way that they're used to it. Mm-hmm. So it's not really that surprising that they're misunderstanding the information. You well, know, I really, yeah. I really have to give credit to Flair because, I mean, I mean when we bought our camera and they, they invited invited us in, they had a, uh, you know, lunch and everything else, and they wanted to know what you were going to use the camera for, and and how, you know, how they could help us to achieve the goal that we were intending to use the camera for, and and that, to me, is important. I mean, we have all these equipment, that, like those wonderful glasses out there, and you get no support whatsoever, you get a little piece of paper that tells you that you're going to catch ghosts on it or something that's that's about it well there's there's also another element here and and uh, steve you're completely right but the fact that people do watch these tv shows and assume that what they're seeing and it because it says it's a reality show it's like a documentary mm-hmm. um there's a lack of critical thinking in 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 schools not t- teaching people the difference between uh one portrayal and another to really start quest to really question things i tell people to question me all the time it's really important to ask those questions about qualifications and other things. And there's definitely uh, an issue with science education in the United States and probably in other parts of the world where people seem to think that they're doing science if they're using a piece of technology, even if they don't know how to use it or what its principle is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm consistently telling people that, you know, I use my microwave oven. Does that make me a, um, you know, uh, a scientist chef? <laughs> <laughs> I actually know how the microwave oven works because when I was a kid, I, want, I was cute. When they were first introducing them, I wanted to know how they worked. So I actually have a little bit more knowledge than the average person because of that. But that doesn't mean because I'm using my microwave, I'm doing science. Mm-hmm. I'm using a tool. That's all it is. <laughs> I, have, I, I We're coming up to the bell in a second. Uh, so, Lloyd, you are also a mentalist as well. Do you find that as a, an aid uh, to uh, your work or... It, it actually has been, it, you know, the, the years that I've had, almost as long as I've been in parapsychology, I've been involved in magic and mentalism, mm-hmm. psychic entertainment, and that has helped me in truly understanding the psychology uh, behind people's perceptions and conclusions that things are psychic or paranormal when, in fact, they're not. So I, I don't find, I've had, I've uncovered psychic fraud on occasion. But I don't find that that's the biggest issue. The biggest issue of my knowledge application is understanding what could, could lead people down the path. As an example, we do seance shows in the dark <laughs> in <Yay>. entertainment. <laughs> and it's not hard to make people think that something is going on in the dark. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, that's why I'm constantly railing against ghost hunters be turning the lights out. In fact, I've been sorely tempted a couple of times, and I may end up doing it one day. In, uh, if I'm stuck in one of these events in the dark and doing a few things to make to freak people out, just because. <laughs> it's so easy. So anyways, that was the bell, which means uh, we have to be uh, leaving. Uh, anything else you want to add, uh, Lloyd? Nope. That, you know, that's good. Just uh, folks can find me pretty easily on MindReader. Okay. And, MindReader.com. Uh, 
If you uh, really easily, if they just Google uh, Lloyd's name, and uh, I was thinking, during, during the show tonight, I was looking at the most influential ghost hunters, and uh, it's interesting that Lloyd's name comes up consistently in the. I told you, I told you, but that's just me. As does that guy from Ghost Adventures, but there you go. So. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, if Lloyd if Lloyd went to the gym once once in a while, you know, he could be number one too. Yeah, it's Matt. It's Matt Black from now on. Matt Black. Yeah, I I don't run screaming from homes or or places. So it's 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 the it's the clothing. It's it's the the lack of Matt Black and the the body armor. I think it's the. Yeah, I don't wear body armor, but I do wear black a lot. It's just a good color for me, as a mentalist. Yeah. Still making your chocolate. Uh, on occasion, I am. I am occasionally making. Uh, it's it's been kind of like in the back burner, but I do still make chocolate. Yes, excellent. So, anyways, uh, Steve, you anything you want to say before we say goodbye? We're no, I'm to- I'm going I'm going away for forty eight hours. I'm going on a, a wee holiday for. Where are you going? Uh, I'm going up to North Wales, uh, to the land, to the part of the country where the mountains are. Uh, we're going to take the boys to see the Royal Air Force jets. So- and, of course, uh, next Tuesday, uh, you can join me at, at the uh, VC Estate for our monthly uh, Red Light Seance, Lloyd. Uh, which, in the dark. In the dark. <laughs> physical mediumship. That's what we strive for. Cool. So, anyways, <laughs> check out the one. <laughs> so, thank you, Lloyd, for being on the show. And uh, you ho- Hopefully, we've, uh, you know, enlightened a lot of people. At least pissed a few off, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks a lot sports, sports. all right you, take man. care guys yep tonight bye bye-bye to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.